Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What up, everybody? Sorry to interrupt the regular programming right here, but Rick and I have to pay the bills, so we're going to run an ad. This ad is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Enjoy the show, guys. What up, everybody? I'm Rob Brandt. And I'm Rick Brandt, and we are the Brothers Brandt. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And here we have episode eight. And this one is going to be an awesome episode. Super stoked. We got a special guest who Rick will introduce in a moment. I just want to recap and say that our first seven episodes were awesome. And it was our 10 games in 10 days. And we're not done with those sports road trips. We're only getting started. We have a lot more in the tank with that. Um, I also want to give a big shout out, and uh, it was a milestone week for us despite this quarantine. Uh, Just yesterday, we surpassed over 200 views on our podcast. Now, that may not sound like a lot to a lot of people, but it means a lot to us. And what it means is that more than just our mom and dad are listening to this podcast. And we're excited about that. So whoever... And wherever you're listening to, we just want to say thanks for being a friend of the pod and really appreciate it. And we're just getting started. We're coming in hot every week with new content. I'm going to turn things over to Rick, who's going to introduce the first ever friend of the pod interview. And Rick, I'm going to hand this off to you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our first ever special guest here on the Brothers Brant podcast is a dear friend, a lifelong friend of ours, and someone that I think you guys are really going to love, especially after you hear all of the amazing things that this guy has been through and he's accomplished. Ladies and gentlemen, Shane McCarthy. Shane McCarthy, everybody. Oh, yeah. You know, Woo! There you go. We got to get some like plugs, Rob, like some of that music where people are clapping. You know what they do? Yeah, you know. So, ladies and gentlemen, Shane McCarthy, a dear friend. We've known him since he uh, he was growing up uh, back in New Jersey, same area of New Jersey where we're from, Monmouth County. And uh, Shane Shane's a few years younger than us, and I had the distinct honor of umpiring Shane when he was a young baseball player growing up in Little Silver, New Jersey. And he was uh, he was more than a phenom, more than a stud athlete on the field. He was a great kid, and he evolved and grew into a tremendous young man, dominated the high school, college ranks, and now finds himself in the minor league farm system for the Cleveland Indians, 
And we thought, what a perfect time during this quarantined phase of coronavirus to grab a few minutes with the legendary Shane McCarthy and ask him a few questions about his his journey to where he's at at this point. So, Rob, what do you got for Shane right off the bat? Well, I just want to give you guys a little highlight. We'll dive into the facts a little bit more. Uh, Shane played at Seton Hall University. He got drafted. He's, he's now playing for the Cleveland Indian Farm System. And the fun fact about Shane is that Shane threw a perfect game in college. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, but Shane, let's talk about your high school career. And tell me a little bit about, you know, when you were a kid growing up, what was your dream? Absolutely. Thanks, Rick and Rob, for having me on the Brothers Brant podcast. And uh, starting with high school, I think, you know, I was going to RFH. I just have moved from Little Silver to Fairhaven. Really excited for some new, a new journey ahead, living in Fairhaven now. <clears throat> and I was excited to play for the Bulldogs baseball program. As a freshman, you know, we had some seniors and some juniors that were going to carry most of the load on the pitching staff. So I was able to have a bunch of leaders that were able to take me in under their wing and kind of show me how the upperclassmen go about their business. And then ever since, I think it, the end of my freshman year and into my sophomore year, I think more of the load kind of went on my shoulders and I was continuing to lead as an underclassman. And uh, we had a couple good, good seasons with the Bulldogs at RFH, made it to a state a state sectional championship game, which we lost, unfortunately, but I think that was the furthest they've been in a couple of years. And uh, we had some good players around me too, obviously, to help get us there. And uh, playing at RFH was a really great time. I played with a great coach and uh, there were some ups and downs along the way, but I had a great experience there. Yeah. What were some of those ups and downs that you went through in high school? I think a lot of our listeners can probably relate to having obstacles and challenges that they needed to get through, especially playing high school sports. Can you talk about some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing, and it's happened a couple times in my career, but I had an elbow surgery my junior year. And, uh, you know, my name was starting to kind of buzz around a little bit after my sophomore year. I had been throwing well, uh, getting recognized with some accolades in the Shore Conference and then travel baseball beyond that. And the junior year was, hey, you know, this is going to be a really big year for Shane. We're going to put a lot of the weight on his shoulders. He'll be our number one starter this year. And um, unfortunately, the fall before my junior year, I was playing baseball and I was pitching in a game and I knew something went wrong while I was pitching. I kind of pulled myself out of the game and I found out that I had a condition in my elbow called osteochondritis, which meant that the blood wasn't getting to the tendons and the ligaments in my elbow because of a buildup from scar tissue from a lot of overuse, probably from when I was a, a young baseball player. And uh, from, with that, I had a surgery from the, with a Met surgeon, Dr. Alchek, on December 12th. And uh, from there, I've rehabbed and rehabbed, and I wasn't able to play that junior season. So that was a really big downer. Uh, Definitely missed out on some great memories playing with those special players at RFH. And, you know, I missed out on some time where I could have helped take my game to the next level, potentially played in front of more colleges and other scouts. But um, that was definitely a time it was kind of tough for me. But I was able to 
really, you know, focus on the things I could, I could control and I was getting good grades. I was crushing my rehab at elite physical therapy in Tinton Falls. Uh, had some great physical therapists over there that really helped me regain my strength. And I came back stronger than ever at the end, but that was definitely a little low light of the high school experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, your uh, junior year is a big year, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the junior year, especially now with how recruiting is getting younger and younger, when it was my turn to be recruited, the better players were committing early in their junior year. And the other, mm -hmm. and the other guys who were still play, you know, college baseball, D3 to D1, wherever, were normally committing the summer before their senior year. So definitely miss, missed out on a couple opportunities but it ended up working out in the long run yeah because after that you came back and had a pretty strong senior campaign that led to an opportunity to play in college right absolutely yeah i was able to play in college i played a, had a strong summer season leading up uh before my senior year once i was healthy after sitting out the spring of that year uh, which helped me get some extra looks with colleges and other scouts and then I kind of put it all together, committed to Seton Hall University, where my best friend was already going to school with me. He was my catcher. You know, couldn't really have been a better situation. I was already friends with the pitching coach for years, uh, family friends for a long, long time. So I knew I'd be really taken care of there. And uh, things were starting to look on the up and up for me. Wow. Awesome. I love that. And then you talked about your catcher already committing to Seton Hall. That was your catcher that you played with back when you guys were kids, when you were 10 years old, right? That's right. Yeah, Mike Alessio, uh, when I lived in Little Silver and I was playing with the Jersey Shore Thunder, as that was our travel team, we invited Mike to play with us and he was living in Fairhaven at the time. I think around 10 years old, we invited Mike over. He came and played with us and you know, just gelled with the rest of the guys that have been playing for a couple years together. And uh, after that, we played on another travel team. We went our separate ways in high school. He wanted to go to the RBC. I decided to go to RFH. But then we played again. He was my catcher for a travel team where we were both trying to get recruited by colleges. And uh, playing four years at Seton Hall together was just the cherry on top. Wow. wow. So that's really cool. Unbelievable. I love that. Rick, let me jump in here right now. Um, so guys, a lot could be taken away from that. You know, adversity hits Shane, elbow surgery in, in junior year, your pivotal year of getting recruited, didn't deter him, worked really hard. And uh, I know we talked about this prior, Shane, and you got a half scholarship on academics and sports, right, to Seton Hall? Right. So half the money I was going to get to go to Seton Hall was based on the good grades that I had, like a, a strong GPA. And then half was based on the athletic scholarship that I was getting directly from my baseball performance. So having a little bit of both really helped me choose Seton Hall and kind of stay close to home in New Jersey, which is what I wanted to do too, play for a strong Big East baseball program. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And now uh, just to fast forward a little bit in your college career, I want to jump to sophomore year and the headline of this interview is the perfect game featuring Shane McCarthy. And I want to dive into this game. I want to talk about it. And I think our listeners want to hear about it. 
from the eyes and the, uh, the arm of the pitcher that threw it. Now, for you listeners out there that aren't uh, baseball savvy, uh, a perfect game is when a pitcher throws uh, and collects 27 consecutive outs in a game. So he does not concede a walk, a hit, an error, anything like that. It's a perfect game. 27 batters up, 27 batters down. Um, in the history of baseball, so 150 years, there's been 218,000 games played in the history of Major League Baseball. This isn't, this isn't even including Division One, But over those uh, 218,000 games, there's only been 23 perfect games thrown in the history of Major League Baseball. And then college, there's only been 30 perfect games thrown in, in the history of college baseball. To give you a percentage on that, Shane McCarthy, our friend of the pod, is sitting in a category of 0.00024312%. He's an That's outlier. <laughs> so, Rick, uh, you know, let's, let's, ask some, let's ask Shane some questions about the game. Yeah, I want to hear all about it. You know, did he do anything different leading up to the game? Did he have any particular feeling going into the game? Like, is this going to be the night? Like, what were you feeling that night? Who were you guys playing? Give, give me the breakdown. Yeah, so we were playing Long Island Brooklyn University. It was a home series, so it was always great to pitch at home. Uh, the weekend before, I was, I'm always the Friday starter, so I pitched the first weekend the first game of every weekend series and the Friday before I threw nine shutout innings against Manhattan so I was kind of riding a high feeling pretty good I uh, was able to you know stay and throw a lot of strikes my repeating my delivery really well and then bouncing back and recovering and being healthy each week was really kind of what I think helped me be able to be in the position to throw the perfect game but a lot of people ask me if, any, if I felt anything different, was I focusing on anything? Did I try something new that led to this you know, really great moment? And I can't put my finger on anything besides the way that I was really working with Mike Alessio, my catcher that night. I think we were just on the same wavelength throughout all 27 outs, and that's what led to us sealing the deal. Now, with those, with those 27 outs, though, some of the things that I found to be even more impressive, I mean, a perfect game is already just unbelievable and hard to fathom, but you did it on such few pitches, and I don't believe that you had any at-bat where you took, the account, where the, you took the, account, the count to three balls, meaning there were three balls at any point in any at-bat, right? Yeah, Rick, you're right. Uh, 88 pitches, no three-ball counts. So that means I was throwing a lot of strikes. And that also means they were a pretty aggressive swinging team. So I was able to get a lot of early weak contact and a lot of swing and miss to led, led to some strikeouts. I had eight that night. Wow. Were there any close plays that maybe saved the perfect game? There was. And that, that, I feel like with every perfect game we've ever heard of, whether it's college, MLB, minor leagues, if there's anything special going on, a perfect game, a no-hitter, you always see that one diving play in the gap or that one ground ball that the third baseman needs to charge and throw on the run. And uh, I definitely had my share of moments where my defense was coming up clutch behind me and making amazing plays. My shortstop had to range up the middle to his glove side 
and dive for a, a soft line drive that would have left the infield if he wasn't there to make the catch and it probably would have dribbled into center field. But, you know, he got a great first step on the ball. It kind of fluttered right over my head out of my reach. And I was like, oh, no, that's probably it. And then my shortstop, Chris Chiradio, was there to make the diving snag. And you could really feel we don't have a stadium at Seton Hall. Now they do. But when I was there, they didn't. And uh, But you could feel, like, the fans and the bleachers and everyone that was there, a little definitely a sigh of relaxation when he made that catch. It was awesome. Wow, that is so, that is so cool, Shane. Now, um, not to toot my own horn, this is the Shane McCarthy sh- show for all I care right now. But, you know, I, I, was a, I was a solid pitcher back in the day. I peaked too early. You Rob, know, you peaked in the fifth grade. I Knock peaked it in the fifth grade. We won the rec championship in Little Silver. I pitched a, a solid three-inning, like, no-hitter. Um, and, you know, when I was, you know, 12 years old, I remember, like, you know, thinking, like, about my outs and all that. And I just want to know, when did it set in that, oh, crap, I could have a perfect game? What inning, what out, when, when did it set in? I think I was really in the zone that whole night. But when I was sitting by myself at the end of the dugout around the seventh inning and nobody was talking to me because everyone who's a baseball fan knows if you talk to the pitcher or you talk to anyone who's having, doing something special that night, there's a good chance you could be jinxing it. So I was out on the end of the dugout kind of by myself just with my towel over my head, you know, staying hydrated in between innings and trying to stay focused. And that's when I thought to myself, we might really have something going here. Let's try to finish this thing. Wow. Wow. And, and something to note, too, uh, in college baseball, you're playing on turf, which makes the ball bounce faster. Uh, you're playing with metal bats. So I feel like it's even easier to get a hit than in the, in the majors. Is that correct? I think the the talent pool is definitely different majors to division one level, but absolutely you're right. You play on different surfaces, you know, metal bats, you can get a lot of cheap hits here or there. I've given up my fair share. So yeah, I definitely, <laughs> definitely agree with you there. Mm. So walk us through the final play of the game seals the deal. And then everything that transpires after the perfect game. Okay, so this is the, probably one of the best parts of the whole thing. For the non-baseball listeners out there, for non-baseball fans, I'll do my best to describe what was going on. So I had a lefty up in the batter's box. We had two outs in the bottom of the, at the top of the ninth inning. You know, I had 26 consecutive outs. I was ready to seal the 27th. I had two strikes on the batter. I threw a slider that bounced right behind home plate. The left-handed hitter swung over the pitch, so he swung right over it, didn't make any contact. But in baseball, there's a rule, there's a rule called the drop third strike. And maybe if I don't explain it well enough, Rick will pick me up because he's the umpire after all. But um, the drop third strike means if the batter swings and doesn't make contact with the ball, and then the catcher doesn't catch the ball directly behind him, he has a chance to run to first base and try to tag the bag before the catcher can find the ball, pick it up and make a throw. So the ball ricocheted off my catcher, Mike Alessio to the right, close to the first base dugout, probably took him, you know, six feet to his side. He had to flip off his mask, grab the ball with his bare hand and pretty quickly fire off a good accurate throw. And uh, he threw a strike right on the money. And then, uh, you know, my, my teammates came out of the dugout running as fast as I've ever seen them. Uh, everybody was filled with excitement. 
I got tackled. I remember hitting my head even. I was like, wow, I really just got decked by some of my teammates, but it was all, <laughs> it was all worth it. And then uh, I did a couple interviews that night and many more newspapers and other publications, especially the, you know, the Seton Hall media team wanted to do a lot of uh, different interviews and video packages. So I was happy to do those. And um, yeah, it was awesome. Got the Gatorade shower, never gotten that before. So it was a super special night. And then I was able to celebrate it with my parents who went out to a nice dinner afterwards. And it was great that they were there for that whole moment. Wow. Wow. What a special moment. I just got chills, bro, listening to that. Rob, Rob, I felt like I was actually there. The way he was describing it, I could just picture the exact play, the dirt kicking up from the ball bouncing in the ground, the catcher throwing his mask. And I almost feel like I was maybe in that pile. I don't know. I just felt yeah, like you guys perfectly probably there. You guys went to a bunch of Seton Hall games. Maybe you're even there. Who knows? <laughs> I wish. I wish. I think I attended maybe the week before or something like that. But, uh, yeah, Shane, so cool, man. Congratulations. You've got just the memory of a lifetime. I know all of our uh, friends, people that enjoy, uh, you know, listening and watching you play, just really excited and so happy for you, man. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rob. And I, and I just want to highlight, too, really quick. I know everyone's following along, but I just want to drill home this point for all the listeners out there. There's 53 perfect games. I am going to rank this the number one perfect game, bias because we're friends with Shane McCarthy, but also because the catcher was Shane's best friend from 10 years old. You cannot script it any better than that. He throws a perfect game in college to his best friend from 10 years old. Pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Now, now, Shane, you at one point in your college career spent time playing in the legendary Cape Cod Summer League. Can you describe maybe for our listeners a little bit about what that league is and then what your experiences were there? Definitely. So, after the college season is over, it's a custom for college baseball players to continue getting ready for their next season and their coaches, you know, put them in contact with different teams across the country and they play a summer league, just like they would when they were trying to get recruited. Uh, most it's all wood bat. Uh, most of the time you're just trying to get to throw a, a certain number of innings and then you'll be good for the year or you're trying to get some extra at bats, maybe try it out playing a different new position that you might have to play next year. So there's a lot of, great times to grow and learn during summer league. And uh, I was able to play in the Cape Cod league, like Rick said, which is pretty much the number one league. You know, if you've, uh, there's been movies about the Cape. I was, I played with the Harwich Mariners. Um, I, I lived with a host family. They were great to us. Uh, uh, me and three other teammates in their basement. They were so involved with the team. Uh, we'd have family meals together. I got to play with guys from the SEC, the PAC, PAC conference, the biggest conferences and the big power five schools like LSU, Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, San Diego, like everyone and everywhere. They were all on the Cape. And I had a great experience with another one of my teammates from Seton Hall. We were living together. We played on the same team together. And we both ended up being all-stars at the midway point of the league, meaning, you know, we had great, we were putting up great numbers. I was the pitcher of the week for the first two weeks of the league back to back. 
throwing six shutout innings twice in a row and uh, had some great moments. You know, family was able to visit me. It wasn't too far from home, but uh, definitely felt like I was in baseball heaven up there on the Cape. If you ever get a chance to visit and definitely during the summer, please do and try to catch a game. I think you won't regret it. But uh, I had an amazing experience up on the Cape, was able to finish strong, being an all-star, playing in the all-star game, and then was able to head home uh, probably the end of July, early August, get some rest, and then fire it up for Seton Hall with the month to come. So special, Shane. And thanks for describing that for our listeners, exactly what the Cape Cod League is all about. And really, I mean, essentially, I guess basically when – you know, you're our college baseball player invited to go to the Cape Cod League. Most often that eventually leads to down the road, a lot of those players end up making it to the big leagues. Isn't that correct? That's right. So actually to get into the Cape Cod League, uh, coaches talk to the other coaches, you know, to help get you there. But then you need to be recommended also by major league scouts that have been following. So they don't really, it's really, they don't really just let anyone in there. If the coaches are, you know, friends with a coach or anything, you also need to have those recommendations and referrals from major league scouts. So maybe it was the perfect game or some of the other good outings I had before, but my, my name was starting to create a little bit of buzz and uh, some scouts were coming to our games, you know, to watch me and my other teammates. I had plenty of guys that before me that got to play professionally as well. And uh, that's the benefit of playing at a good school is sometimes, like Seton Hall, sometimes, you know, maybe your third baseman is an all-star power hitter. But if you're also pitching that game, you know, the scout's going to scout you as well. He's not just going to focus on the one guy for the whole nine innings. Well so, said. So I was able to really reap the benefits of playing around some great players at Seton Hall. And then that helped me get those that uh, respect and the referrals from the scouts to help me. Uh, land a spot on the Harwich Mariners in uh, the Cape Cod League. Wow. That's that's great. Now, Shane, when uh, your Seton Hall baseball career resumed your following year, your junior year, and uh, that's when you're eligible to be drafted out of college. And for our listeners out there, you have to play your freshman, sophomore, and junior year of baseball before you can get drafted. You also can get drafted after your senior year, of course, as well. Walk us through your junior, senior year experience, the adversity, the uh, trials and tribulations that you had to go through uh, that ultimately led you to the Cleveland Indians organization. Yeah, so this this will be a little lengthy portion because there was a lot going on that junior year, but hang with me here. So I made it back to junior year. We got back on campus. Everyone was thinking, wow, you know, Shane just shoved during the summer. Like he's going to just crush it for us this year. Um, I had people telling me, oh, you know, easy, like top, top five to seven rounds of the draft. Like that's where they have you slated right now after your really strong performance in the Cape Cod League. And um, to be honest, like it, I was super overwhelmed with all the attention and I was filling out and meeting with every single team. I was having meetings with, you know, every, every one of the 30 clubs, face to face meetings with the scouts, lots of paperwork so they can get to know me and my medical history and other things. Uh, I was also getting approached by agents or advisors so that wanted to represent me for when it was my turn to turn professional. And uh, it was a lot going on. And uh, so I was definitely a little overwhelmed. And then that kind of led to a lackluster junior year, I got to say. You know, I wasn't the same uh, Shane McCarthy from 
freshman and sophomore year. And uh, I even found myself getting bounced out of the rotation at one point, pitching in the bullpen, which nobody probably would have ever thought would have happened with the great year I was having prior. And uh, so with that, you know, not so great junior year, no, honestly, a really bad junior year, um, you know, kind of tested my mind. I was kind of down in the dumps, kind of enjoying just really having my other teammates go out there and try to do their best because I felt like I really couldn't be, I wasn't being my best self for the team. So I was really, you know, trying to be as supportive and as great as a teammate as I could be. But at the same time, I was really kicking myself that I wasn't performing like I normally would for my team. And um, so that was all going on. My draft stock was pretty much plummeting from that maybe first, uh, second day pick, like fifth to seventh round, like a nice signing bonus, this and that. And um, my, draft stock, my draft stock was going down, down and down. I was throwing slower than I ever have. Like just something was going on, right? Like this, this all can't happen just in one year without something really going on. So I was still fortunate enough when June came around after the junior season to get drafted. And I was thinking, hey, I don't know. I, I think I really didn't show any – I didn't show any real great numbers or any great performances that year. Maybe a couple I, a days that I shined, but most of the days were kind of cloudy, to be honest. And then uh, from there, I was still able to get drafted. So that meant that, you know, teams believed in me. The scouts were sending me in to their front offices to even be considered to be drafted. And uh, my name got called on the day three of the draft in the 18th round by the St. Louis Cardinals. And funny enough, the Cardinals are one of my favorite teams growing up. So this looked like the light at the end of the tunnel for me for having a really tough junior year. And I was thinking, wow, you know, I still have a great opportunity. The Cardinals do a good job of developing uh, amateur pitchers. You know, if I can really you know, get with them, you know, they'll fix me, they'll get me back to where I can just rock and roll like I have been prior. And uh, just when I thought, you know, maybe the tides were turning and I was really going to get my break in professional baseball, uh, that did not happen. So what ended up happening was before you sign your, your first minor league contract, every single ball player needs to clear a physical. So it's blood work, it's MRIs, it's orthopedic checks with doctors and other physicians and what ended up happening for me was I did not pass my physical and I was dumbfounded when I heard the news because only a couple weeks before I was feeling great I was throwing 90 94 miles an hour my arm felt super strong and as I was getting ready I was in Johnson City, Tennessee, when I found out the news, that was the team I was going to play for that summer after I got drafted in the uh, Appalachian League. That was the rookie advanced level. That's where a lot of the uh, recent drafts go and play. So what happened was I, they found something on my physical to where in my right elbow, again, you know, that elbow came back to bite me. I had a loose body, like a fragment of my bone swimming around in my elbow. And, you know, instead of deciding to have me continue to sign the agreement that we came to terms with, um, they ended up sending me home. They said, you know what, Shane, sorry, you're not healthy right now. We don't want to deal with any effects if we take this out and something happens again in the future. 
you know, we're just not having it. So you're going home. And just when I thought I was starting my whole professional career, it got came to, came to what, uh, to an end real quick, only two days I was living the professional baseball player life after having a really tough season. And the next thing you know, I was going home and I was back on a flight heading back to Newark, New Jersey, and then to kind of sit dumbfounded in my house in Fairhaven and really find out what the heck was going on. Oh man, Shane, that, uh, just hearing that it breaks my heart again. I knew the new bits and pieces of the story when it took place, but hearing it from your, from your experience, just, that must've been heartbreaking. I remember we had a big Cardinals party for you when you got drafted at your house. So, so that was tough for everybody, but you being the resilient guy you are, you didn't let that stop you. You came back, you Seton Halls had come on back, didn't they? Yeah. So originally what was going on was um, my coach was, you know, super great to me always at Seton Hall and the way they they work with the scholarships that Division One baseball gets, which is only 11.7 for a roster of 35 players. So it's not like football or other sports where everyone kind of, you know, is going to school for free and getting their books paid for and everything. So the junior year before I was drafted by the Cardinals, uh, with my with my good performance and just being a good teammate, my coach gave me a full ride. So I was going to school for free. And, you know, he did that because he knew I had a really great shot of getting drafted and signing professionally after that junior year. And this all happened before the season even started when even before things weren't going right. So kind of to say thank you and like kind of help me on my way to per, to becoming a professional. He gave me a full ride. So I was going to school for free. And then when this all happened, I didn't end up signing. Everyone's like, oh, man, well, we got to get Shane back on campus. So how are we going to do this? You know, we kind of had the scholarships allocated here and there and for this guy because we thought he'd be long gone. So uh, my coach was, you know, awesome enough to still scrap together a good package for me to help me come back. And um, they were happy to have me back for my senior year. I was able to, you know, be that leader that I was for the first three years and probably with even more uh, responsibility now, having gone through the experiences I had and um, was able to try to do my best and led the team to a Big East championship game in the tournament where we ended up losing to St. John's. But that's the first time in a while that the team was able to get to the championship game. And uh, again, myself and six other Seton Hall players that 2018 year after my senior year and my teammates junior years six of us were able to sign professional contracts with uh, MLB affiliated teams and uh, a couple of us getting drafted a couple of us signing afterwards but you know we were really had a great group and um, you know maybe there was something up like maybe I had to go back and finish my senior year because I wasn't leaving on the right terms with the way I was performing but you know, it's just a weird, weird moment in my life where I really, maybe I didn't have like those, I didn't come to terms with myself that after that junior year performance, like maybe something was really going on and, you know, they found out something was going on and uh, decided to go back to Seton Hall, finish up and try to lead the team as much as I can. And, uh, and that, gave, that gave me an opportunity again where I was drafted by the Cleveland Indians in 2018. So fast forward. So so now it's 2020. That's an awesome story, by the way. I mean, the adversity coming back, 
the learning, a lot can be taken from that. I love that story. Everybody loves the, uh, you know, stories where, you know, it's a little bit of adversity and then you're coming back and, and talk to us about the Cleveland Indian minor league system and walk us through what it was like to be drafted by them and then where you are today. For sure. So Cleveland Indians, little did I know, I didn't really know too much about the organization uh, when I first got drafted by them. I knew they were like a mid, mid-market team, small market. You know, Cleveland's on the smaller city. They don't have the super crazy funds like the Yankees, Red Sox, and Dodgers do, being those huge markets. But uh, when I first made it out to Arizona, passed my physical the second time, thank goodness. You must have been so happy. Yeah, so relieved, so <laughs> relieved. Because I was, you know, I wasn't scared, but I was like, geez, if this happens again. But anyway passed the physical, shook, shook the scout's hand that drafted me as I was signing my first contract. Like I was on cloud nine, everything I've ever wanted, finally coming, coming uh, to start. And then I was learning a lot about the Indians. And it turns out the Indians, little did I know, are one of the top, top three developmental organizations, especially for pitchers. Because the Indians, like I said, they're a small market team. They don't have the big funds to go sign Mookie Betts and Robinson Cano and the Verlanders, the Garrett Coles, these massive contracts, right? Like they, they really need to grow from within. So they put a lot of their resources and hire the best coaches and the best staff to really build up and develop their minor league players so they can impact the team and help them win World Series at the major league level. That's cool to hear about, Shane, from a – player's perspective I'm sure a lot of baseball fans out there don't really get a chance to see the behind the scenes of what you're talking about but can certainly appreciate the the coaching and all the extra help and attention that you're getting there and that's led you to progress through their system and I know you were progressing very well and then all of a sudden you know we had high hopes all of us did for 2020 and this year's season, but then the coronavirus happens mid spring training. Where do you stand now? Where's the baseball world at? And what's your predictions on where we end up a couple months from now? Yeah, Rick, it's tough to say. I think, you know, first and foremost, everyone needs to stay healthy and, you know, do what's right for their health first before, you know, even sports are considered. I know some people would say the opposite. They're like, oh, we got to get playing again. But you know, my opinion is got to get got to get our everyone's health taken care of, making sure the environment's the right environment to start playing again. And then, uh, you know, it was tough uh, going in my second spring training. You know, I kind of had the ball rolling, was feeling good, was able to I threw in one spring training game against the San Francisco Giants minor league team that we were playing. And I threw two scoreless innings. I was like, oh, let's get the ball rolling. I think I'm really feeling good about this spring training. And then a couple of days later, next thing you know, I'm on a flight and they're sending me home. So crazy the kind of how the time went from, yeah, just like every, every day, every normal day at spring training to now you're home and who knows when baseball is going to start again. Oh, man, you said it so perfect about making sure the environment and everybody out there is safe before we can get back to action. I know you're chomping at the bit. We're chomping at the bit. Rob and I couldn't be more appreciative of you taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on the Brothers Brandt podcast and join us here today and 
and talk about all the things you've gone through and accomplished. I know our listeners out there appreciate it. And Rob, any closing last thoughts for Shane on this? This has been an outstanding podcast. Thank you so much, Shane, for coming on. A lot of fun to hear the stories. But, you know, like we're saying on this podcast, we're just getting started and we know your career is just getting started. Um, what team are you playing on now so uh, these guys can follow you on the World Wide Web? Definitely. So I was hoping to break spring training with the Lynchburg Hillcats. But um, if you want to follow my baseball journey, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. Definitely come follow me there. Would love to answer any questions that anyone ever has about baseball or training or you know anything I can help with always reach out and uh, thank you Rick and Rob for having me on the podcast it was a lot of fun guys absolutely Shane you've always been a great inspiration for other young kids out there aspiring to achieve and go after their dreams and goals so uh, it's Shane McCarthy hit him up reach out to him I know that this is in my opinion been our favorite podcast getting a chance to hear firsthand from you and I'm sure you'll be back on the pod again but uh, for all you listeners out there I'm Rick Brandt and I'm Rob Brandt and we're the Brothers Brandt and we're signing off here with Shane uh, big thank you to Shane and our next episode coming up we're either going to go roll tide or a little Super Bowl story so definitely stay tuned for that thanks a lot Shane for being on with us all right thanks, everybody Rick and Rob. see ya stay safe bye Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.